And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Financial Fitness Friday of The Real Investment Show. I'm Rich Rosso, Certified Financial Planner here with Danny Ratliff. CFP Squared. We're so glad you're here this morning. And the weekend's right here. You know, I got hit with this massive tax bill yesterday, and then I read this story, because they wonder, why am I paying taxes? About the fraudsters that had plundered as much as half of the unemployment benefits that we threw out there during the pandemic. So this is uh, Blake Hall. He's the CEO of ID.me. Four hundred billion to crooked claims, and the Hayward Talcove is the CEO. It's LexisNexis Risk Solutions. Most of the stolen money, at least seventy percent, probably ended up outside the U.S. Criminal syndicates in China, Nigeria. I mean, Russia. Four hundred billion dollars, Danny. Just. <clears throat> of our money gone. How's that? How's that for make you feel about <laughs> writing a check to the IRS? Knowing that you're supporting illicit groups. I'm like, I wonder where it's going now. I wonder where this 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 money's going. It's probably pretty similar to supporting the government <clears throat> at this point. <laughs> That's <clears throat> sort of my point is um hmm. well, other than that being said, we had a hotter than expected, hot, hot, hot. I don't think Brent's got the song. Feeling hot, hot. Um, inflation number yesterday, 5% increase. Uh, as actually the greatest increase since uh, actually about 13 years. But, you know, the market took it in stride. Well, you got you a <clears throat> thesis about this? I do. What do you think? Well, I think you peel back the data and you start to look and say, okay, what's actually underneath the hood here? And, you know, Looking at it, so if we exclude food and energy, core inflation is up 3.8%. Mm-hmm. Now, if you start looking at, okay, where were the biggest uh, fact, what was the biggest factor here? And so if you look at the, the data, uh-huh. used cars, 29.7%. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look out at the car lot every day, and I thought actually thought this morning, so we're, we're right mm-hmm. next to a handful of uh, car dealerships yep. off of I-10, major freeway in the United States. And I, you know, during the pandemic, there were times that you could look out and see zero cars on the lot. I mean, very, very few. Where that these lots weird. hold hundreds. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I should have taken a picture of this each and every day. <laughs> We've heard stories of people using arbitrage, selling a vehicle for as much or more than what they bought it for a year yeah. or two before. Um, you know, going and finding a, a, an old, very old used car to drive until prices come back down. Um, you know, so used car prices went up almost 30%, 29.7%. <laughs> Airfares up 24%, jewelry up 14%, bikes 10%. Everybody was riding a bike during the pandemic, right? Everybody trying to do something to get away from people. And, and a big supply chain issue there. Yeah. And then, like, and then footwear, right? And so yep. we have a supply chain issue in, in a handful of, for a handful of reasons. One, initially because of the shutdown, because of, you know, factory workers, people not wanting to get to work. Then obviously, you know, with the commodities, things of that nature, you know, people in close quarters weren't there. But then you have the, the issue of, 
the supply chain from the labor side. Yep. So much different in the sense that you have all this federal unemployment numbers or data, excuse me, stimulus being thrown around, right? So $300 for, for each and every person who's out of work on top of the state unemployment benefits. You throw this, you factor this in with all the stimulus funds and people have been very hesitant to get back to work. In fact, Lance has told stories about his wife trying to hire people saying, you know what, I can start in September when my benefits run out. We're hearing stories from small business owners day after day after day. And this is a big deal. And that's why I think that this inflation data is so important to actually understand. And look at what happened yesterday. You know, we saw the 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 basically the non-reflation trade stocks did well. Yes. The inflation stocks didn't do so hot. And then you saw yields, which you would have thought. This is the craziest thing that we had all the this push up in interest rates because of the thought of inflation. We actually have it now. And granted, some is permanent, some is transitory. I'm not trying to make that argument, but we're having this data and in the interest rate in the bond market saying, hey, whoa, not so fast. I mean, what what are your thoughts? Well, to your point, that that's all really great information, and that's a good perspective on the inflation numbers. I also think, to your point, it's some of this is transitory. Yep. <clears throat> but I think what investors are looking at is, wait a minute. Companies have, a little bit of inflation is not bad, because companies have pricing power. Listen, if you're a CEO right now and you're not raising prices, you're an idiot, okay? This is your time. People are price ignorant. They've been locked up for a year. They have built up cash. They want to spend. So as Americans being price sensitive, that's sort of gone out the window for what I call this honeymoon period where I got to go out and I got to do things. So, you know, market goes, hmm, well, some of this is going to go away. You know, it's going to be measured uh, on the inflation side. Although I have looked at the sticky price CPI. No, that's not some crazy movie from the 70s. It's syrup, right? Huh? It's syrup. Yeah, yep. syrup, sticky price. But these are prices that really take a very long time to go higher, and then they stay higher. And that is at the highest record I've seen at about 4.7%. So, but again, I think markets are looking at it, to your point, Danny, that, hey, some of this is transitory. They dug into the numbers and saw what they thought would be transitory. Because listen, 30% increase in used cars, you it's not sustainable. No. They, I, this, a yeah. lot of this stuff is just not going to work, and people are going to become price sensitive again. But having a little pricing power, a little inflation is good for companies to raise prices, thus increase margins. So that's good. Now, when you look at the treasury, 10-year treasury, right, we've seen it slip below 1.5%. And it's sort of a conundrum for a lot of people because what the bond market's saying is, hey, we're going back to 1.8%, 2% GDP once the honeymoon is over. It's inevitable. You also have to keep in mind that there's a lot of demand by foreign investors for treasuries. I mean, we've got positive yields um, and we are still the cleanest dirty shirt relatively speaking, in the world. In other words, we may not be happy with some of the things that are going on in the United States when we look at it on an absolute basis. When I look at it on a relative basis compared to the rest of the world, we are still in great shape. And you have cash holdings that have, like we talked about on the consumer side, but also commercial banks, Danny, you know what they're saying? Don't give us any more money. They got $17 trillion 
that's according to the Federal Reserve of St. Louis. We we we, we don't want any more. Too much cash. Too much cash. You know, yeah. uh, so, you know, I think the demand for treasuries is also skewing this. But I think the bond market is telling us that a lot of this is transitory and that um, we're going to go back to this sluggish growth rate. Because think about this. What really has changed pre-pandemic, post-pandemic when it comes to the foundation or economic catalysts that would take GDP to 3% plus. We don't have that. Now, there could be some encouragement on the infrastructure bill. Uh, I know the Senate committee met, spend much less money, no tax hikes. You know, the 10, 10 senators that sit mm-hmm. on this bipartisan committee. That was pretty encouraging. I think the market's gonna pick up on that as well. So we'll talk a little about futures and you know, some personal finance stuff you need to know when we return here on Financial Fitness Friday. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com you could be one of the seven in ten people requiring long-term care in your lifetime are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than seventy six hundred dollars a month our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement join richard rosso and danny ratliff for the basics of long-term care long-term care register at real investment for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. July 8th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to The Real Investment Show. I'm Danny Ratliff here with Richard Rosso. So talk a little bit about inflation and some of the things that are occurring. You know, obviously a big number yesterday uh, was core CPI. And what does that mean for investors? And I think a big thing that, you know, we try to understand is that the Fed has had this 2% mandate for some period of time and, you know, saying that they're going to need to see inflation at 2% or more for a bit, mm-hmm. which we have now seen. So where does this put them and what does that say to investors? I'm, Clearly, they're not buying it from the investment standpoint that they're going to go in and either begin to taper or start to raise rates, Rich, mm-hmm. because if, you know, markets or their bond markets would indicate anything, it's anything but that at the moment. That doesn't mean that can't change. The sentiment can't change quickly. I mean, obviously, we know how Fed talk goes. And, um, you know, it's one thing, you know, one day and something different than the next. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I. I don't really think the Fed knows what the heck it's doing, especially post-pandemic, right? We've got all these benchmarks that they set, but they don't stick, right? Correct. So now they're going to figure out, well, how much above 2% can we go, right? And they're still going to stick to their story, Danny, that this is transitory. You know, and they'll change their mind later on. Hey, listen, why don't you think the Fed doesn't print? I don't see any kind of money estimates, M1, M2. They don't put that out anymore. No, why don't they do that? Why, do they do, why don't they do that? So the Fed is anything but transparent. Now they talk transparent, 
but they're not. They also know that they have created tremendous moral hazard, right? Tremendous price distortion in every asset class. Yeah, fiscal stimulus added to it, but monetary stimulus has been on this track for over 12 years. They don't want to be known to, you know, increase the wealth or the wealth inequality. So to me, I think they always have to move the goalposts on these things, Danny, because how are they ever going to Okay, they might pull back some of the buyback, you know, some of the stuff they were doing uh, with QE and all the variations of it. Um, But how long, like what kind of a stock market correction would we need before they decide, oh, wait, you know, we can't, we got to bow to the market again. Um, I mean, I I think people have finally gotten on to the Fed's going to bail us out. Fed has our back. Yep. And frankly, until we get greater economic growth, fundamentally, you know, demographic changes and so forth, um, I don't think these investors are wrong. But I think they're overconfident, but I don't think they're wrong. Yeah, demographic changes can take, I mean, decades. That's not something that happens quickly. We look at the shifting, you know, landscape globally. I mean, we see a lot of demographic issues across the globe. You may, and you may raise wages. So everybody's worried about wage inflation. You're going to raise wages, but look at productivity. And then listen to some of these conference calls from the CEOs and CFOs. You know what they're talking about? Technology. Mm-hmm. I can have one worker do the work of three if we install this type of technology. I don't think that's going to change. <clears throat> So even though I might have some workers making 20 bucks an hour, uh, I'm also going to look at technology. And yes, even in the lower paying service jobs, eventually that is going to happen. So now you need the people, but eventually you get the technology and then you decide which of those people to keep. So, you know, we're going to go through so much, so many different trends post pandemic for the Fed, for the executive branch, for us as advisors on how to advise people on where inflation is going to be. We did raise inflation to two and a half percent in our numbers and we look at inflation by goal. I still don't know until I get better data, Danny, what what we're going to have to do to long-term care inflation rate, medical yeah. inflation rates. Because again, the Fed can play around with the numbers all they want. We're dealing with people that are going to have inflation to some degree affect them or how they spend. And that's just a fact. Now, I don't think it's going to be hyperinflation and all this talk of inflation in the 70s. So, again, I think the Fed's just going to have this moving target. And I'm surprised people haven't just – I think the people that are, like, nerdy – like, I don't want to say Mike Leibowitz. Um, I think that people who are really nerdy – Wait a second. No, no here's what I'm saying because he's such a Fed expert, right? Yeah. He gets bothered by the moving goalpost. And, and he calls the Fed out on the carpet. But most people, they don't care. They're going to look at their 401ks and say, hey, they're going up. Um, and people that are spending like on medical expenses and just food and other things than gas are going to start to see their prices go up. They're oh, going to curse more the executive branch, but they may not curse the Fed. But, you know, it's all entwined. Well, it, it is. But I mean, you talked about the money supply. Money supply has increased like 31% since 2019. But nobody's yes. talking about it because they're, no, not, it, they're not promoting. And, and they the average Joe doesn't care. Mm. They don't care. They don't care that federal spending is up 50%. They don't, but they know the academic, the people like Mike Leibowitz, uh, picking on him this morning. Because where's Lance? Is Lance trolling us? Uh, 
Oh, let me pick on. He Lance. must have. He must have fallen back asleep. So I mean, though, what I'm saying is, <clears throat> the people that really can make a stink can't look at these numbers anymore. That's the only way I can think about it. Well, the issue is, you know, we always talk about being nimble from an investing standpoint. Right. And I wonder. You talked about how it changes advisors' perspective. Do advisors mm-hmm. is the typical portfolio that you know, quote unquote, many financial advisors use dead? I mean, think about it. Your fixed income that you could rely on for three to five percent is gone. For now, absolutely. For now, and, and for how for how much longer? I mean, you know, we're in this environment that we should see this massive, you know, increase in interest rates. Yet we're not. It's the complete opposite. That's right. Um, people, you know, it's a common theme. That why would you invest in in bonds? Well, there's been price appreciation. You know, as of recent. I mean, if you were long duration, well, we've got bonds and portfolios that we can't sell, even though we can make nice gains. Where the heck am I going to get three to five percent tax free? or even two and a half, three percent taxable. So it's a dilemma because if I sell those bonds, I have to make a decision, Danny. I got to swim the Red River to the other side, two stocks. In other words, people are going to say, well, I could look at stocks as a bond surrogate, right? I could look at stocks as a bond uh, proxy. And that is absolutely wrong. You might want to own stocks because you have no choice and look at dividend stocks, but dividends are no snuggie for your portfolio. You are going to take more risk. But to Danny's point, either you're going to sit and wait. We're going to talk about an article that really ticks me off. We're going to sit and wait and cash a little bit, right? I don't know. Pension funds seem to be buying up long-term treasuries, and I know they have to, but they still have the best yields. I mean, if you really want safety, you might have to be more out of the box creatively with your portfolio, right? Annuities. Correct. You might need to look at some investments that are going to look at a guaranteed lifetime income that replace bonds. You can use plain vanilla annuities. And I'm not talking variable, expensive annuities with bells and whistles, but fixed rate annuities. Now, they're going to be a little bit better than bonds, but at least I know I'm not going to be negative on my yield based on the price I pay. I might right. have to use bonds through uh, annuities through this period that are laddered out. <clears throat> you got to free your mind, but don't think that stocks have no risk when you replace them with bonds. Well, that's the common not theme, the- right? It's like, okay, well, we know the Fed's always going to be there, mm-hmm. just like you alluded to, that they're going to continue to back this. And at what point do they actually step away and, you know, take the take their Kool-Aid? What happens then? I had a cousin who was the black sheep of the family, right? Okay. He always dressed in these horrible t-shirts, like in the 70s, like, you know, let's truck and let's on the back or whatever. And my grandmother would go crazy, all right? She'd okay. Be, but you know what? She's like, he's a bad boy. He's a bad seed. And then he'd come in one day and he'd wear this, you know, shirt and tie for, you know, and he looks like an angel. Oh, he look different. He and no, he's still a devil. If I go from bonds to stocks, you're buying my cousin in a shirt and a tie. You understand? In other cousin words, Vinny? Yeah. Tony. Tony. Okay. Might as well. It always ends with a Y. <laughs> so the, what I'm saying is it's okay. Like I tell clients, we tell clients, saying, listen, when these bonds mature, what am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to step you up on the risk uh, you know, spectrum a bit because 
I can't get any income. We have an income. We have built an income-based portfolio. Correct. And I think Mike and Lance and Nick have done an incredible job putting this together to try to put yields properly with a 20, 80, 20% stock, 80% fixed income. Listen, we had to really think outside the box, but this isn't your plain vanilla bond stock allocation. And you need to understand that. And we don't know how long rates are going to remain lower because to Lance's point always, which is very important, yields are ultimately a reflection of economic growth. And when you start to see the 10-year go higher over time, it means that it's actually not a bad thing. It means that we have growth in the economy. And the 10-year is telling you right now, and I know there's demand for it, but overall it is telling you. We're not going to 3 4% growth that I hear some of these honeymooners on all these financial mainstream channels talking about, oh, this is the new paradigm. This is the new thing. This is going to change. What's changed? Nothing's changed except the fact that they can sell you stocks and you're going to buy them now. That's it. But nothing else has changed. So you have to really understand the risks of the portfolio versus the reward you're getting. And I think that's a tough conversation yeah, for everybody because they need income. That's a good point. I mean, we're, we're stuck in the exact same spot we were pre-pandemic. Exactly. Except, except the world has more debt. And personal savings has gone up, don't worry, and we're seeing some inflation. But we're seeing inflation over what? That's the key. But you're right, though. We, because of, you know, we, we quarantined the healthy. Never did that before. Really weird response. And we now have all this money in savings. But to Danny's point, what's really changed except for the rapid move in this recovery? Recovery is one thing. Expansion is a different thing. And the fun, and the pundits that don't know anything mix up the words quite a bit to confuse. I'm ready to get to expansion. To I don't know about you. you. Not along my waistline. That's the only one I'm not going to keep. Got to keep thin. All right. We'll be right back. Financial Fitness Friday. Real Investment Show. Stay tuned. Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. July 8th at noon. Real Investment Advice. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back. So we're here with uh, Mike Leibowitz and his... (laughs) (laughs) I have got to get this shirt. Fed Grammar Matters shirt. Hashtag. As much as I disdain Twitter, that is a great hashtag. Um, my hashtag for you is Fed Mudgeon. Um, that might be a shirt I have to get you for the holidays. Fed Mudgeon. Um, mudgeon? Yeah, well, like curmudgeon, right? Because, but you're mudgeon uh, over the Fed. Uh, oh, gotcha. Yeah. 
because Mike's like, how about that Fed? Um, <laughs> so um, can I uh, can I apologize? Can I first of all start with an apology to Brent? Sure. What? Yesterday was Fed Day. Yeah. Or post Fed Day. Lance always talk about the Fed. And I forgot to wear my favorite present from Brent. This is our new tradition. So, Brent, I'm wearing it today to make up for yesterday. All is forgiven. Is that a is that a is that I, your gift? Yes. To Mike, that's a very good. I one. love it. I couldn't sleep last night, Brent. He was, was so excited. He was so excited. You know, when I first I didn't see the language, I just saw the black shirt, mm-hmm. and I said, "Oh, he's got this like John Wick thing yeah. going on mm-hmm. or something," and then. There it is. That's perfect. I'm thinking we should market these on the website. I'm thinking you're right. I, like um, I think a billboard. It would look good on a billboard, too. Right here over here off I-10. I like that. Or Powell in the bowel or something. Um, but, um, you know, I am confused, Mike. Just and, and, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why. But um, first of all, obviously, with just how the Fed, whatever mandates are a moving target. But... I really was very surprised by the talk about the talk about the talk about the interest rates more than why aren't we tapering? Like, I really thought we would be in the tapering stage, or at least that would be more imminent than rate increases. And it seems like there is no taper. Are there still liquidity issues out there that the Fed needs to, to continue to purchase bonds? Oh, no, absolutely not. And this is what drives me crazy. You know, after the meeting, every every six weeks or so, he does a press conference and no one has even asked him why they are doing this. Right. What's the purpose? Is it driving up inflation? Because the answer is not really, because we have enough history to know that that's not really the case. Um, We uh, Six weeks ago, some reporter asked him one of the few very good questions. And and Richard, just so you know, and I think you know this, if you ask a tough question, you're not invited back. Right. So so they have to kind of put up these uh, layups for for Powell. And someone asked him, why are you buying mortgages when the mortgage when the housing market's on fire? Mortgage rates are at all time lows. And, And when we say all time lows. I know there weren't mortgages in the 1700s, but we're talking about interest rates that go back to before they signed the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. Right. These aren't just 20, 30 year type numbers we're giving out. Right. So why are they support heavily supporting a market that is clearly overheated? Right. They're pushing They're They're not only allowing people to, to bid up houses, but they're allowing companies like BlackRock, Lance and I talked about this a little yesterday, they're allowing companies like BlackRock to buy whole neighborhoods and basically push prices up further, making it more right. unaffordable for the large majority of people. And that's where most people's wealth happens to be in the Fed. Forget the stock market manipulation. You right. think this housing market manipulation is egregious. But It's almost like they've thrown all the rule book out and I am incredibly astounded by you would think by the lessons we learned through the financial crisis and now you're bidding up homes and i understand even after the financial crisis wall street was becoming owners and people were becoming renters but now even more to a degree blackrock seems to be infiltrating a lot of things and yet they continue and i don't know any other reason but political i don't know what or whatever it might be to to do this but you're hurting the people most the majority of american people who consider their home 
the centerpiece of wealth for them or where most of their wealth is. Right. But I think, you know, I think we both kind of answered your question. It's asset prices, right? Their goal, you know, their goal is to boost asset prices. And that's becoming more and more obvious, you know, especially over the last year, but over the last 10 years, right? Their goal is not to necessarily, they want to help the economy. Don't get me wrong. But I think their first goal is to boost asset prices. And, you know, if you say, well, why, right? I think the best answer is that pension funds are so grossly underfunded that if they were to collapse because their investments don't do well, the the burden on the United States, on the Treasury, on whoever would have to bail them out or the the bailout that would occur via depression would be so horrendous that the Fed believes that they have to keep asset prices, you know, stable at a minimum. Right. Why else did they go in and buy junk debt? Why are they supporting a housing market that's on fire? Well, a lot of pension funds own mortgage-backed securities, right? I, I understand why they bought mortgages in 2009, right. 2010. Right. That, you know, I don't necessarily agree, but it made sense. I, I made There's sense. logic to it. Exactly. Why <laughs> they touched them this time is beyond me. Th- that, that sector didn't need any help. And they could have, if that sector started failing, they could have jumped in there. But they just and now I think, you know, next time we have a crisis, they're just going to automatically buy corporate bonds or and you know what? I mean, Richard, we both know this is coming. They're buying stocks at some point directly. Well, so interesting story. I probably told you this, but one of my mentors, John Bott, who's a hedge fund manager out here who I've worked with for years, um, we had dinner during the financial crisis. I'll never forget. And he said, Rich. Mark my words, the the Fed will purchase S and P index in the future, mm-hmm. and I laughed at him. Like now, I owe him a dinner. Like I, I had to tell one right. of our friends. I said, "You got to get John. I got to take him for dinner because I owe him one." Because <laughs> I pretty much said, "Come on, there's no way they're going to cross that line." But you you have to say, "Will they?" So you wonder why investors are so trained to believe the Fed is going to bail them out, right? I just don't know what the end game is or how they extract away because, listen, Powell's not talking about this massive rate increase situation in, in, in 2023, but it was enough to at least shift the market sentiment to look at growth versus value again. I don't know how long that lasts or the Fed's focused on inflation, but are they? I don't think that's, they. I, well, that's a really interesting point. Yesterday, when I was talking with Lance, the Fed, I said the Fed was very, seemed to be very upset about inflation, that they underpredicted it, that it's rising quicker than they thought, that he only used the word transitory twice yesterday, uh, twice on uh, Wednesday. He mm-hmm. used it nine times the month before to describe inflation. So they appear to be moving away from a transitory state of inflation to something, and he used the word persistent too, to something more persistent. Right. So I think he gave lip talk to inflation. They didn't want they didn't want the market to think the Fed was sitting resting on their laurels, not worried about inflation. I think they wanted to show the market that they really are paying attention and are concerned. But are they really a step closer to taper? And that's kind of what's been going through my head the last 12 hours is was that just B.S.? Was that just the Fed? using their typical Fed gibberish to try to steer markets, to try to make everyone comfortable, 
but they have the same intention to taper, the same intention to raise rates that they had six weeks ago. And, and unfortunately, this, these are the games they play with us. Right. We have to parse their words. I mean, this is why 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 we should all have shirts like this to remind us <laughs> that that they play games with us, that that they have so much power. They control the markets that we have no choice but to just think about every word they say, every adjective. Oh, they changed the adjective on the inflation rate. That must mean they're more concerned or they're less concerned. And sometimes they just use different words. You know, I joked around on Twitter the other day. What if Powell were to say temporary instead of transitory? Would that send all the algorithms into an uproar? Would that crash the markets or boost the market by 5%? Like this is, this is the joke that the Fed has become, and it's because they are so powerful. And it's scary. It's honestly scary that we have to waste our time talking about grammar and talking about what we think someone is thinking versus studying earnings, studying macroeconomics. And, and Mike, you know, we've always done that. Um, you and I have been in the business long enough. We've always parsed the Fed, but it was part of what we did. Right. It, wasn't, it wasn't like, okay, we also, like you just said, fundamentals and earnings, all this other stuff was important, but the Fed we knew could drive markets. But <clears throat> maybe it, the firepower was much less. Right. Now that's all you focus on. Right. I mean, yeah, we do, you know, we try to look at the right things when we purchase stocks. We look at the fundamentals. We look at cash flows. We look at the, but we all know the overriding factor to all of this is what the Fed does or what the right. Fed says. And I don't know if they're, and I don't, I don't know how they're going along with this whole, because, uh, you know, Yellen has become much more of um, willing to look at fiscal policies and i don't know if she's always been this way and i want to talk a little bit about this her influence on powell and the growth versus value trade uh when we come back if you want to stick around with us in your absolutely neat neato shirt that i would need that would be better than a radio shack shirt i'm gonna tell you right now hey we'll be right back with mike Leibowitz, john penn here on financial fitness friday stay tuned Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com. InvestmentAdvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. July 8th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. A modern-day warrior, me means try. 
Welcome back. You know, we've just been talking about the Fed because it's just some very new fascinating dynamics going on with them. I always believed that Powell always, even Yellen, sort of started to nudge for fiscal stimulus and saying, guys, we, you know, we can't control. We can only do certain things. We only can manipulate rates and then all this other creative stuff that they do. But they really are not... They can affect an economy with lower rates that's just gone through some garden variety stuff. We don't go through garden variety stuff anymore. Every 10 years, we get a Minsky moment. And so I really thought that once you'd see more fiscal stimulus or, or an administration that was more, more receptive to it, that then the Fed could say, OK, we can retrace. You know, we don't. In other words, well, I'm not going to come in with both guns blazing now. I can pull one gun away. But that just doesn't seem the case. And I hear in more in Yellen's voice pushing much more for fiscal stimulus. But I wonder what she says to Powell about when they cross those lines, because I'm sure they do, and they've been friends, for monetary stimulus. I, I don't hear a part of that conversation because she was on a tape yesterday or this morning saying that she doesn't believe in MMT. So MMT is essentially letting the Fed print money to pay for fiscal stimulus. She doesn't now, believe in that, she said. It. They, she doesn't, she doesn't she believe does in not. it. She does modern, not modern. believe in MMT. Hmm. So I'm, that's one mm-hmm. thing yet Janet Yellen and I agree on. That's one. Uh, we're making progress. But, I see another shirt in the future. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, if, if I hadn't have seen that, I would have said, Janet Yellen goes to goes over to the Federal Reserve building, walks down the street and says, hey, Jerome, we're going to borrow another X trillion. We're going to need you to get on your horse and buy it from us. Because, you know, the Fed has bought more Treasury securities mm-hmm. than they've issued over the last, uh, I believe it's three months. When does that ever think really? About that. When does that ever yeah, happen? Think about before. that. Treasury issuance I, right. available to the public has shrunk. Yes. I mean, is that first time? Uh, not the first time, but it's because the remember they ran a surplus a couple of years oh, under right. Clinton. But the the available debt to the public that the public can buy and sell has shrunk, despite the largest deficit ever and the largest deficit as a percentage of GDP, except for World War II. Mm-hmm. That includes the Civil War, War, World War One, the Great Depression, the financial crisis, every other thing you can think of. How crazy is that? Yeah. And again, I'm not minimizing COVID in any degree, but it was a virus. And if you look at statistics on this versus major illnesses that have traveled through, uh, you know, international here, it didn't warrant it. Um, So it's either way. But I agree. Either way. Why are they still doing it? I don't know. Especially when they keep touting that way, we're back to normal. You know, right. look at this. Look at this industrial production number. How it's bounced back. Look at retail sales. Look, the the issue I see is in this recency bias gone crazy. Is everybody's talking about all the talking heads that this is a trajectory that continues. In other words, 
we were out of the toy we were in the toilet water now you know just because we fell in the water we stood up but now we're going to go run we're going to run a marathon and we're going to expand from here meanwhile nothing's really changed pre and post pandemic when you look at all the fundamental cracks of well, what's caused 2% gdp if anything it's it's worse well, right, Richard, it's worse because of those deficits because right. and corporate borrowing. So it's actually the natural growth rate going forward is less than it was in 2019. And it was already trending lower, mm-hmm. and it's been trending lower for 30 years. But that it, it shifts down during each recession, and we've put out graphs on this. After each recession, that new growth rate is less than a prior growth rate. And that's going to be very true this time as well. So we're sitting here at an elevated growth rate. And just to get down to the old growth rate is going to be painful. But now we got to get to an even lower growth rate. And but to your point, not, a lot of this recency bias is saying is that's not going to happen. In other words, we just set this plateau. Oh, the best number since 80s or 90s. And it's going to continue. And to your point, that's not what's going to happen. At least that would well, that's we don't the conditions don't warrant us to go from another trajectory up from this. We've plateaued well, Richard, most me, likely. Go ahead. Let me just rephrase that. I'm not saying that that's what should happen. That's what will happen in a capitalist economy. There's what's going to stop the Fed, the Treasury from printing out more checks to the public from these trillion dollar spending bills, stimulus bills. Right. That's what we don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. That's why we could continue this growth trajectory, because no one seems to care about deficits, that they'll get funded and they get funded by the Fed. Right. So until we get inflation where the Fed can't do what they're doing, there's no reason that some of this can't continue, especially, you know, the problem now is that the Democrats have all three branches or not branches, but they have the House and Senate and they have the president so they can pass whatever they want. If they were locked out of one of the two branches, then things become very contested, at least on the fiscal front. So with all this going on, we have seen a shift. You always say NASDAQ day, Dow day, NASDAQ day, Dow day. And obviously, we've been seeing a few more NASDAQ days like this morning, Dow futures down 155 points. Give, give, us, give us your um, analysis of this shift. And I know we're sort of like walking the line. We're we're on both sides of this fence to some degree, the inflation, disinflation yeah. trade. But this, this shift that we're seeing to growth that had been out of favor here a bit, give us right. your overall view on this uh, Dow versus NASDAQ situation. So first of all, we have to straddle the fence because mm-hmm. we are in uncharted territory mm-hmm. and we don't know. Powell doesn't know. Powell even said he didn't know. They, they don't have a playbook for this. No one knows what's going to happen. We could have massive inflation, we can have deflation. So we're just straddling that fence, shifting to the left, shifting to the right, as we see things change day by day. So that's, first of all, most important. Mm -hmm. But, But what we know from history is that when the Fed does QE, interest rates rise. And when when they're rising with inflation expectations, and with inflation expectations, you tend to get some of those value sectors, the financial companies, the energy companies, rise with it. Um, conversely, when the Fed starts to talk about taper, at some point between thinking about thinking about tapering and just thinking about tapering, you get the opposite effect. You get a push towards the deflationary sectors, 
right? So this go around, that, that means that bonds are doing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means that technology is doing well. The NASDAQ, like you mentioned, is doing well. Um, so that's what we've seen. And we've seen more of it the last kind of few weeks. And we've kind of anticipated it, mm-hmm. right? We, we kind that's of right. saw it coming technically. Uh, bonds had stalled out. They stopped pushing higher in yield. This has been going on for a few months now. And that's then right. more recently, they started dropping in yield. Mm-hmm. And that's a big message that the market was sending well in advance of the Fed meeting. So, you know, we have to, you know, I wish I could tell you that this deflationary push is going to last for three more weeks and then we get this and that. But, I mean, this is crazy what's going on here on a fiscal perspective, on a monetary perspective, and then the whole sociological perspective, right? Pent up demand and every, it's, you know, everyone's having a midlife crisis and they're buying stuff that, that they typically wouldn't do. They're spending money on, on they're buying cars, they're buying houses, additions. They, price doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't. And so, so when will that get out of our systems, this pent-up demand, this uh, PTSD, whatever you want to call it? And then what's going on on the fiscal and monetary side? And inflation's the biggest one, right? Inflation is part Due to, you know, you can put all your macro, technical, fundamental factors out there, but there's a psychological aspect to it. My son's going to buy a car. My oldest son wants to buy a used car. So I said, dude, you may want to wait because mm-hmm. car prices yeah. are on fire. And I showed him that Mannheim index graph. Yep. And his simple response was, Dad, but what if they're more next week and the week after that? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't I be getting a deal? And that's the psychological impact of inflation. If people start believing that, they will pay higher and higher prices because they don't know what they're going to be tomorrow. That's right. And it's happening with houses. It's a very, like what your son said, out of the, out of the, the mouth of younger people, that is what you feel. If I don't buy this house today, next year it's going to be higher. And I've been trying to say to everybody, when you follow the masses, you most likely will not make a good decision. In, right. You know, there's something called the momentum trade, and we get that, right? That, 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 we look at Mendelbrot and all these, it works. The point I'm saying is with assets like this, I've been telling everybody, step aside. Right. Save a little bit more. Don't be caught in with the madness of the crowd uh, overall. But to your point, there's so much fuel on this fire. We have no idea. We have never quarantined healthy people before and see this pent-up demand along with this unprecedented fiscal and monetary policy. So if you're an investor right now, whether you're with us or another advisor, you've got to remember, this is uncharted territory. What could what have worked last month may not work next month. And that's why we are straddling the fence. Right. So this, great way to put it, 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 it kind of reminds me of the old explorers back in the you know, 15, 1600s. Maybe the earth is a square and maybe we're going to fall off oh the end boy. of the earth. you got to be careful. Hash, you got to hedge yourself. Hashtag earth is flat. All right. There's another shirt. Yeah. <laughs> you all have a great weekend, Michael. Thank you for your insight. Yep. Uh, Lance, thank back you. on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. Money, money, money. Money, money. In a rich man's world. Money, money, money. Always Sunday in a rich man's world. While the things I can tell.
daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.